Hello, my friends. How are you? It's been a little time since we last spoke, but you haven't missed much here. The forest is still cold. The snow is still wet and melting. The world around me doesn't know if it's ready to blossom yet, or if we still must wait. And better yet, there is a new moon coming soon. A matter of days. A fiery new moon. I suspect that I will be ready to emerge and do some true work soon. But until then, I have felt the need for silence and peace and rest. I am glad that I listened to that. You know, there is something I forgot about. A few weeks ago, I spoke with several visiting ghosts who called out their questions to me over the wind. One spoke with me after I had finished speaking with you. I recall that they asked me a very interesting and lovely question. They asked me, What is my favorite tree in my forest? There is a tree here. One I've never actually visited, but I've only felt. Perhaps even sniffed her blossoms on the breeze, in the spring and summer. I've heard her leaves fall to the ground in the autumn. And in the winter I've felt her sorrow and fear. I haven't been able to find her yet. This forest is a vast and enigmatic place. But today, I finally did, thanks to this question. We're here now. Do you see how large she is? To think I ever thought her to be fragile just because she was afraid. Fear does not make us fragile. Sorrow does not make us weak. She is ancient, hundreds and hundreds of years old. So wide, so tall, her bark twisting and curving in what look like almost deliberate spirals and symbols all across her trunk. And though her branches are mostly bare, I see on them little buds, little green buds preparing to open, just waiting for the cold to subside just a little bit. Kind of like me, I think. After I have rested, once this last cycle's moon has gone and I can begin another journey entirely with our new moon approaching for springtime, I will blossom, too, in ways I never have imagined possible. I don't know what those ways are, but I look forward to finding out. What will you grow in the spring, this week, with the new moon? This is my favorite tree here, dear ghost. And this ghost asked me another question, too. What drew me to tarot, they asked. I used to think I was searching for messages from beyond, and then I thought that I was instead examining messages from within. Now, 
I realize that they are one and the same. We need only listen to our inner voice in order to hear more outside of us. In connecting with our true selves, even if it is in the guise of 78 little cards with different characters and meanings, we realize that we are never really alone, and we therefore can never know a limit to our strength and possibility and love. So it is at this tree that I will sit, just under her bare branches, never mind the little drips of water falling from them as the ice and snow continue to melt, as they must. Here, I shuffle my cards, and I ask the tree, I ask the wind, I ask the cards, but mostly I ask the new moon who will come to us in a couple of days. What is your message? What do we need to know for this moon? I drew a card, and I met someone new. The King of Wands. How fascinating. A fiery king for a fiery moon. This will be a time of action and creation. He is a charismatic king, a natural leader who others are easily drawn to. He is honorable, however, because his clarity and vision are pure, and he follows them with a dedicated focus, and he is therefore easy for others to follow. And so they did, for as I shuffled, I glimpsed the Page of Wands and the Knight of Wands, heralding his arrival. The Queen did not, however which makes sense as she is Queen Shadow and very much uninterested in following anyone, at least in my mind. With the support of others, the King of Wands says, You can manifest miracles. You are here to do so much good. And you can, if you are clear on your intent and do not succumb to distractions. This is a very pure kind of energy much like fire indeed, for this king loves to challenge himself, to grow, to make things as he desires them. But mind that you do so with honor and love, of course. How can one not be respected, looked up to, if one can do that in their own life? Now this card, given to me for this new moon, is a strange thing. I have no desire to lead anyone, not in an active sense anyway. If I did lead anyone to anything, I would want it to be toward their own power, their own creativity, their own pure and endless soul. It sounds obvious, doesn't it? As I look up at this great and ancient tree, I admire her, I honor her. I respect her. I followed her here, didn't I? And I feel she has a clear vision. She is beautiful, powerful, strong, even in fear and sorrow and suffering. She stands firm in her herness. She knows what she is. She knows what she gives. 
even if she is resting now, simply surviving. She will bear fruit soon, and flowers, and she will protect little animals, and she will give shade and rest and comfort and nourishment to tired things, human, animal, insect, plant. It doesn't matter. She exists in love, even when she rests. It is easy to follow a leader like this. And you know what? As I look at her, I breathe in her scent, and I breathe out, and I know she breathes in my air too. Just sitting with her here, I know that I am not alone. I hope she feels it too. Trees can hear our voices, you know. Trees can communicate with one another. Her roots spread deep in the ground underneath me and you now. What is she saying to us, I wonder? Like this tree, I think we do not know just how deeply our roots grow, just how widely our branches spread out and around and over us just how far our blossoms will be carried across the wind. We are so much more immense than we could ever know. We will reach so many more people than we will ever understand. We are connected in more ways than we are separated. I say this because I want to stop being afraid of loneliness and solitude and quiet and emptiness. That is what I want my story this week to be about. Not following a literal king on some great quest or mission or campaign, but rather, all of us, together, following what we know to be true, and not letting ourselves believe in the myth of our separateness. Let me explain. There was once a young composer. He had written operas, arias, symphonies. He wrote melodies so beautiful they could make you weep in under a minute. Harmonies so delicate they dangled in the song like fragile icicles. Bass lines so deep and true that you trusted instantly that every single note was in its exactly perfect place, in its exactly perfect time. This music felt like love, like being held, like falling, 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 and yet being lifted up at the very same time. When you listened to his music, you could never be alone. Not that he really knew that, of course. He heard it. People tried to tell him throughout his lifetime. But it was no use. He still couldn't really believe it. After all, if it was the case, then why did he feel so alone? So ill at ease, so often. There were moments of joy 
certainly. Moments of love. Moments of not-aloneness. But it never seemed to be enough. Not enough to chase away the terrible, looming figure in black that haunted his joy and turned him instead to sorrow. I shall keep this part brief because this part is sad, but it is also not important, and so I shall keep this part brief. He was young, he grew ill, and he was lost to the world. Or so he thought. The next thing he knew, he was in a huge hall. Enormous. In fact, he couldn't really see the walls or the ceilings quite clearly, for if they existed, they were perhaps made of a peach-pink stained glass. This must be a palace, surely. A most gorgeous palace at that. The place was full of people. People on the dance floor, sitting at tables, standing on staircases, looking over balconies upon balconies. How many floors were there here? How many staircases to lean gracefully on? How many silk couches? How many side tables for pink crystal champagne cups? He quickly thought to look down at himself. Last he recalled he was in his nightshirt and socks. He was both relieved and fascinated to see that he wore fine blue silk breeches, a long coat, a vest and clean shirt. He didn't recognize them, nor did he believe he had ever possessed anything so fine in his whole life. Huh. In that moment, he saw a glimpse of himself in a nearby mirror. A silk ribbon tying his shaggy yet surprisingly clean hair back. He could see his face clearly. And it looked almost the same as he'd remembered. Except, well, his eyes were quite red. Hardly any white left for all the red there. And his lips looked a little pale. His veins seemed more pronounced. But he looked fine otherwise. He didn't think too much of it. He took a closer look at the other guests. Strange their clothes, he thought to himself, as he noticed a lady wearing a strange velvet slip of a gown that was missing sleeves, sporting the oddest, highest shoes danced by him. If you could call it that, for she was kicking her feet and waving her hands in the most unusual way, too. And she danced right past a different guest. A man wearing what we understand to be a flashy rock-and-roll jumpsuit, but our composer was very much surprised by. Where were these people from? Our composer had traveled a great deal in his life, but he'd never seen any fashions quite like these before. Yet the people wearing them seemed perfectly at home. Joyous, albeit maybe a little stupefied themselves, too. And at the same time that he looked upon them, he caught the eye of another gentleman at this great and gorgeous party. He was some years older than our protagonist, 
but his clothes seemed much more in keeping with our composer's understanding of fashion. He looked quite well-dressed himself, though he looked quite tired, quite ill, quite unwell. But that was just his appearance. His eyes shone brightly, and he moved with the renewed strength of youth, despite his frailness of body. When he saw our young composer, you see, his eyes widened as though he was a child again, and he quickly ran over, across the room, deftly dodging the dancers in all their differences. He made it to our composer. He clasped one of his hands in his and shook it warmly. Oh, am I glad to see you here? Am I so very glad to see you here? Our composer laughed and shook the hand back. Indeed, I was starting to feel quite alone. What a strange group of people. I can't say I want to ask any of them for their tailor's names. Do you know where I am? Do you know how I got here? The other man looked at each of their outfits and nodded. Oh, yes, of course. Well, styles have changed a little, but not much, eh? I believe we lived in countries not too far from one another, too, so I understand you. Our composer narrowed his eyes in confusion. I beg your pardon? You know where I'm from? How did this strange old man know who he was? And now that he looked at him, the trousers were longer, indeed, their cravats quite different. The old man looked in the young man's eyes and a moment of understanding dawned on him. Oh, that's right, isn't it? It must be at least thirty, maybe forty years since you... And in that moment, the man in the strange jumpsuit found his way over and placed his hand on the composer's shoulder, saying quickly but admiringly, Goodness, how I love your work, my friend. Thank you for it and he danced away again, distracted by someone else he wanted to say the exact same confession to. Now it was difficult for him to understand quite what was going on. That is, until he heard her. She was there in all her glory her white gown fanning out behind her like a peacock's tail. It had the most ornate corset, the most lovely lace, the most dazzling crystals he'd ever seen. She sang a song, a song the young composer recognized from his childhood, and her voice was just as comforting and gentle, sparkling and singular, as he remembered it from the first time, the second time, the twentieth time he saw her perform. She had inspired him to write opera, in fact, though she had passed away. Tragically, in her prime, when he was an even younger man. Murder it had been for whatever reason, I care not to explore. Tragic, tragic, tragic. And yet, here she was, 
smiling and singing again. She locked eyes with him and smiled as she finished her song. He walked to her as though drawn like a magnet. Never mind the huge dagger emerging from her back. She didn't seem to mind it, at any rate. Pardon me, he stammered and bowed. I don't know how I am here to hear your voice again. I don't know how you are here to sing to me. It must be a dream, I'm certain. But dream or no dream, I will regret not telling you that your voice, your music, your honesty, you inspired me. You made me love music. He blushed and looked away, muttering that he wouldn't keep her any longer. Your music felt like love, he heard someone say behind him, and he turned and saw another woman, a woman in crisply pressed slacks and blouse, unusually large spectacles on her face. Never mind that her long straight hair was dripping wet, and water seeped out of her mouth when she spoke. She didn't seem to mind at any rate. She continued, Your music felt like love to me when I was writing the truest book of my life. And the man in the colorful jumpsuit jumped up and exclaimed at the sight of her, Wow, you're here too. And all of them began to buzz with joyful chatter and union, because if you don't know yet, we were at a wonderful party, where every artist who ever inspired another, or had ever been inspired by another, which is all of them, found each other. Writers who inspired musicians, who inspired painters, who inspired singers, who inspired composers, who inspired poets, who inspired sculptors, and so on and so forth. And though many of them had met with tragedy and suffering and pain, for whatever reason, there is no reason necessary. Things happen, times grow difficult, and pain is inevitable. Yet there are times of great inspiration and love and peace, too, and celebration. Though many of these artists of all kinds met with tragedy and suffering and pain in their lives, they had also found moments of truth in their own creation, and in others. And in so doing, a million billion voices raised in a great, vast universe, calling out to each other, You are not alone. You are not alone. And wise and powerful are the ones who, even if the joy in that universal call does not last forever, even if we find ebbs and flows in our lives. Wise and powerful are the ones who take just a little time, a little courage, and a little truth to call back out. I am here too. You are not alone either. Now the timeline gets fuzzy. It is more of a web than a line, in fact a network connecting everyone to each other. The fallacy is that we were ever alone in the first place. It's just a particularly mean and persistent fallacy, but a fallacy nonetheless. 
We have the songs and the books and the poems and the paintings and the records and the films and the dances and the plays and the operas and the games and, 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 etc., 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 to prove it. We are in this together, struggle and all. And so for some time the party swelled. Newcomers entered at any moment. They were from different points of that time web that I mentioned, and so it took each one a moment to feel at home before realizing that they actually knew many, many people here anyway. So of course they were at home. The clock had stopped at the precise point when every new guest had appeared here shortly after the moment of death. A party that lasted forever and yet in the blink of an eye. Perhaps not forever, perhaps not for all of them, but at the very least, for now. And now was all there was. Suddenly, however, there were three loud bangs, and every person in the entire hall, in all its immensity, froze. Three more bangs until finally a huge door creaked open. Our composer friend could not see it. It was so far away, but he could hear it opening, slowly, painfully. And then much worse than that were the footsteps. They were so heavy and so slow. Each step rattled every single bone in his body, each time. And the place suddenly grew quite cold, and quite dark, like a million candles he'd never noticed were there to begin with, began to dim somehow. And then, they all saw it, looming, Maybe ten, fifteen, was it twenty feet tall? Wearing all black, face cloaked, yet the cruel grin on its pale gray face peeking out from underneath. Lipless and joyless, a huge grin. Its hands rested on a tall metal staff the thing had brought in and he set it in the middle of the dance floor, where it cracked the pink and white marble. And he exhaled deeply, his shadow filling the room all the more quickly and fully now. And there he remained. A great silence fell on the place. No more singing. No music. No one dancing or laughing or chattering. Only terrible silence. A great sadness. And they all felt, suddenly, the horribly familiar feeling of being very, very alone once more. A feeling they'd known well in life, each of them. Some staggered backwards and away from one another, and they started to get lost in this shadow, 
pulling away from the party, from that feeling of love and unity and truth, towards solitude, pain, secrecy, loneliness, apartness. A long time passed, or at least I think it did. How could I know if they didn't? A young painter in brilliant medieval gowns of deep red gingerly made their way toward the figure in black. Looking around at the other artists, at least the ones who could see them in the deep shadow, they smirked a little, a cheeky kind of smile, as they tapped the thing on the shoulder, or more appropriately its back, so tall it was. The figure did not move a muscle. The painter swirled around to look up at their face, but it was not moving. In fact, it seemed to be still as stone. It is stone, they called out, their voice echoing in the chambers. Silence from the huge party still. Do you hear? I say there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just stone now. A long pause again. But then, another voice calling out from far, far away in this grand place. Are you sure? Yes, the young painter cried out and laughed. And to prove it, they stood right in front of the gloomy, looming figure and began to sing the same song from before. The singer in white joined in as she recognized her song. And our young composer began to find his way back into the party, the candles growing bright again, and the shadows airing out like smoke from an open window. And he began to sing along too. The old man who admired him and who had drawn inspiration from him for his own music. The drowned woman with the brilliant novel in the crisp trousers and large glasses. The man in the strangely futuristic jumpsuit with the flashy style and gorgeous voice. The young dancer in the unusual dress and high-pointed shoes. They all learned the song quickly enough to sing along to and dance, and write, etc., etc. Despite the presence of the dark figure in the room that would not budge, perhaps to spite the figure, and in their own way, to even celebrate that figure, that presence looming just as large in their death as it did in their life, as it must in all of our lives and deaths. That presence that makes us feel so cold, and so alone, and so frightened and lost and bitter and angry. 
that we have no other option available to us other than to fight it, to reach out, to create something, anything, in order to protect each other and ourselves from it, and remember that it cannot defeat you, for you are so much more than yourself anyway. You are your voice reaching out across time and space. You are your heart reaching out to other hearts. You are immense. You are eternal. You are all of us. So don't worry about being alone. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You're right here with the rest of us. And so, good night, my friends. I wish you good sleep. I wish you good company. Even if it's just in the work of others that you enjoy. Or in your own work, whatever your truest work is. I wish you good company with it. Sweet dreams. Sweet friends. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for episode 187 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, narrator, composer, producer, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you've been well over the last couple of weeks. I've been resting, recovering, thinking, meditating, finding a still center from which I can see the spring a little more clearly. I'm glad for it. As I said, there's a new moon, I believe, this Friday. It's a new moon in Aries, if you're interested, which asks us to find power in our innermost, truest self to love that self and let it shine. In that way, I think the King of Wands was such a wonderful card to draw in response to this moon. He knows how to let himself shine in the purest sense, without diminishing others, but rather bringing out the best in them, connecting them with his vision. If you're here, I hope that we can all feel connected in a vision of peace, imagination, compassion, and defiant joy, even in the face of despair. Anyway, just a few more remaining thoughts I wanted to put out into the world. Thank you so much to each and every patron of the show who supports what I do on a monthly basis through Patreon.com. I appreciate you all so much. Every supporter of $1 or more a month receives access to my complete soundtrack, while supporters of $5 or more a month get this perk, as well as access to a monthly tarot reading that I film and post on every full moon. To learn more, check out my page at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd prefer to donate one time only without any of those perks, you can donate the price of one or more metaphorical coffees at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And finally, you can also purchase t-shirts and hoodies at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. 
I would also really love it if you left me a rating and a review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever else you like to do so. You can also follow me on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube pages just called On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much for listening tonight, my friends. Wishing you all the best for April and this Aries new moon. Looking forward to speaking with you again soon. All the best to you, and good night. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.